the letter that changed the world. The biblical theology of the book of Romans. This is part 32. If you didn't get study notes when you came in, even now, if you put your hand up, ushers will come down the aisle and give you some. Tonight, why practical teaching may not bring the solution to specific problems. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We'll be in these verses for a few weeks. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. So things, there are things unacceptable, there are things acceptable. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. So it's, it's knowable. That's the assumption. What, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Been waiting for a while now. You get into Romans 9, 10, and 11. Been anxious to get into these wonderful practical verses. The beginning of Romans 12. And I can't tell you how important I think a proper understanding of these verses is to walking with Jesus. Christianity is about a transformed life. God makes a change. And this text just kind of rings with the melody of, of, of new life. God doesn't just come and inject some doctrinal beliefs, a religious system, or some regulations to live by. He, he, he transforms people. He makes them new. So how does that work? Or, or maybe more specifically, why doesn't this seem to work for some people? Why are there People who claim to be Christians, who profess new creation, who walk around in predominantly old lives. We need to address that. The two points I'm going to make at the beginning of this extended teaching, the next few weeks on these two verses, they're the background for everything else I, I want to say. So here are the two things I want to focus on tonight. First is point number one. Christian conversion begins in our minds with an organic rebirth rather than an external adjustment. Okay, I get it. Organic and external. Those are two words that aren't in the text. They're my words. But I want to explain what I mean by them and why I think it's so important to understanding Romans 12, 1 and 2. Think about external changes. Think about Christmas. Trees come out of the box, or you go and chop one down. You take it home. You bring it upstairs. You set it up in your family room or living room, and you put things on the tree. Lights, ornaments, styles change, but we dress the tree up. But the ornaments aren't a part of the tree. They actually have nothing to do with the tree itself. They're just, they're just stuck on the tree. 
They're just decorations. But if you went in my backyard now and started to look at uh, the rows of Sharon bushes and the irises, you'd see how God makes things beautiful. You'd see how God makes things fruitful. He doesn't just hang stuff on the tree from the outside. He, he grows them organically from the inside. Now, do you see the difference? External is your Christmas tree decoration. Organic is the roses on the rose bush. Nothing in Romans 12, 1 and 2 will make any life-changing difference until you learn to see the life of the Spirit the way we've been describing it. It is unalterably organic. You can't copy Jesus. That's the weakness. There are some strengths. I'm not on a crusade here, but that's the weakness of the WWJD bracelets. Oh, here's what Jesus did. I'm going to do it. And even if you could, that doesn't make you a Christian. There has to be this organic transformation. It's not mechanical. It's not regulations. It's not just morality. Morality starts on the outside of the life. Christianity always starts on the inside. The renewing of your mind. You can make yourselves better behaved. That doesn't have anything to do with spiritual life. You can never make yourself godly. It's so important that I want to spend, I know we're rushed, but just another minute or two with it. There's a right approach and a wrong approach to living the Christian life. Here's the wrong approach, the unfruitful approach. It starts with particular actions. We get frustrated with ourselves and the person says, I'll just stop doing this. It's a bad thing. If I stop doing it, I will be a Christian. I tell lies. I must not do that. I swear. I must not do that. I cheat. I must not do it. Jesus taught against those things. In other words, they start with a particular outward action rather than an inwardly renewed mind. Outward particular actions are important. They matter. My point here is they are never the starting point for new Christianity. There are people who don't swear, never cheat, but they're not Christians. The outward actions are the fruit of Christianity. They're not the root. Not doing something bad will never make someone a Christian. It's supposed to reach our actions. No question. We looked at Paul's words in Romans 6 too. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? I get that. But the outward fruit God grows in our lives is grown from the inside. It's the result of inner transformation. I'm going to come back to this in a minute. Point number two. We must understand why practical teaching may not bring the solution to particular problems. This might be the grand deception in the contemporary church. It might be lie number one. In the first point, we saw that the Christian life is organic rather than external. Okay, that was point number one. Each person must, as the Apostle Paul commanded, examine his or her heart 
to make sure that that divine change has come in the affections of the heart. Now I want to look at another truth. I said there were two at the beginning. Another two words that aren't in the text, and I want to explain them. The Christian life is always, here we go, comprehensive rather than particular. Now I'm going to have to explain what I mean to you by that. Must be a turn point in the notes. Let me explain what I mean. So first, it's organic, not external. Now, it's comprehensive, it's not particular. By that I mean this. The Christian life never begins as an answer to one particular problem to solve it. It's a very, very popular approach in the contemporary church. And long term, it won't work. A person is lonely. Jesus is a friend indeed. A person is living aimlessly without purpose. Jesus will come and give the life meaning and direction. A person is struggling with sickness. Jesus will come and bring healing. A person is struggling with lack, and Jesus will bring prosperity. But in each case, a particular problem is singled out, and that problem is the motive for coming to Jesus. And the church is just, it's shot through with this kind of thinking, and there's a problem with it. It won't work. It, it, it doesn't work because Jesus never came to repair some segment or some portion of my life. He came to claim ownership and lordship of all of it. That's what I mean. When I say Jesus didn't come to provide particular changes to your life, but a comprehensive change. Just like a comprehensive insurance policy covers everything. Jesus came to take ownership of everything in my life. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Are those in your notes? Okay. Flee from sexual immorality. So there's what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are sexually immoral. How does he address this subject? Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So... Glorify God in your body. These are striking words. Why flee sexual immorality? Well, I could give all sorts of reasons. Do I flee it because I might get AIDS? Do I flee it because I might get someone pregnant? Do I flee it because my parents might be heartbroken? Do I flee it because I might lose my credentials? Do I flee it because I could lose my good standing in the community or in the church? Paul says, no. None of that is your reason. Those motives are frequently the motives for people who profess no faith in Christ whatsoever. It's not that they're wrong. It's that they're far too small. They are reasons rooted in tiny little parts of my life. The particulars. I will be embarrassed. I will lose my credentials. My parents would be embarrassed. Someone will get pregnant. None of them is the big picture. Perhaps I can say it like this. Not one of those reasons I just gave has 
God in it. And the Christian lives his or her whole life solely for the glory of God. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So it starts, comprehensive means the Christian life starts with the whole life, not little parts of it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Don't misunderstand those words. They don't mean that Paul is claiming total perfection in every part of his life. That's not it at all. But here's what Paul does mean. Here's what he means. The Christian is comprehensively a new creation in whole and right now every part of his mind and soul has been reached by Christ meaning he might not be perfect yet but there is only one motive for every change I make in my life it is all for the glory of God That propels me. That's what I mean by comprehensive. I have no other motive for anything else I do in life. Search your heart with that, church. Has Christ made that massive, comprehensive difference in your life? Is it pushing its way into everything else about you? Maybe maybe I can say it this way. It's hard sometimes to take old truths and say them in a way that people go, oh, that's what that means. There's a sense in which Jesus wants to reach every part of your life indirectly rather than directly. That's always the way practical problems are dealt with in the Scriptures. Think about it again. Think about what we read about Paul's instructions about sexual immorality. He doesn't just give a talk about sexually transmitted diseases or pregnancy or personal embarrassment. No. He talks about, look what he talks about. You've been bought with a price. He talks about conversion. He talks about the cross. He talks about the nature of the atonement. He talks about the reality of the indwelling Christ. Pause there. He focuses on the very stuff that a lot of churches are abandoning as sort of irrelevant to practical living. And that's where Paul starts for practical living. These are doctrinal truths. Who would imagine? Who would imagine that purity and sexuality was somehow tied to the study of the cross of Jesus Christ? But that's what Paul does. That's where he goes. When the church throws out study of biblical doctrine for the pursuit of more relevant topics. She's cutting the one hope she has for really helping people. I talk to people week after week who come looking for a solution to some particular problem rather than comprehensive change. Pastor, help me with my marriage. Pastor, help me with my finances. Pastor, help me with my stress. The situations are endless. And usually, usually as you talk, they see no connection between those things 
and their lack of understanding or grounding or interest in what they've come to perceive as just ordinary Christian doctrine. In fact, they've been conditioned by a lot of the body of Christ in books and blogs to look for something more practical, to a solution to a particular problem, and now they're set on this long, twisted journey of a million different practical solutions to their problem, and they'll wear themselves out in the journey. To continue right in the renewal of your mind, you have to begin right. Build your life around these two principles. Make sure that the life you've truly begun is organic. Reaching the mind and the heart, not just trying to improve some individual area of your life in better behavior. And make sure, make sure that the way you're coming to Jesus isn't just because you're desperate for a help in a particular situation, but you're claiming this comprehensive, Jesus, you're Lord of all. Jesus, you're Lord of all. You have to start right if you're going to end right. Remember the old illustration? I've used it a thousand times. You get the first button in the wrong hole, and it's going to be wrong all the way down. You have to start right. And everybody said, 